Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and my bright-eyed, bushy-tailed marmoset of a co-host is Ellen. And as a monkey, I will make like Madame Maxime and eat something out of your beard. Hey, those are my beard snacks. Go bother Hagrid. Or we could just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 22, the unexpected task and the corresponding film scenes. Ladies' man Rubius Hagrid really knows the conversation topics to get all the ladies hot and bothered. The path to Madame Maxime's heart is paved with beard snacks. Victor Crumb is the Joey Tribbiani of the Wizarding World, while Ron is definitely not. Fred Weasley could write a book on fail-proof ways to get a date. Peeves is trying to get his holiday LP out in time for Christmas. Harry finally got the nerve he needed to ask Cho to the ball, but she shoots him down and sends him to snuggle with his egg. Luckily, Parvati is down to be Potter's arm candy for the night, and will even bring a pity date for Ron. All's well that ends well, we guess, but one thing is for sure, balls are more trouble than they're worth. During episode 90, Nike that shit, our Potter pondering was... What do you think would have happened if Harry had actually asked Cho to the ball first? Robert said that if Harry and Cho had gone to the Yule Ball, it's a possibility they would have started dating then rather than fifth year. The feelings Harry had for Cho was just infatuation, because, hey, I'm a 14-year-old with loads of testosterone and no sex ed. He feels the only reason they even dated was because Cho was grieving the loss of Dedrick. Sorry, he means sparkle fingers. Vampires don't sparkle. Ten points from Hufflepuff. (laughs) And in Cho's eyes, Harry was the only person she could talk about it with. Carly thinks Harry still would have realized in fifth year that Cho was stupid. (laughs) She thinks they would have dated until the end of the year and Cho's parents would have gone off the chain about her dating someone so against the ministry. They definitely would have gone to the ball together, but she thinks shit still would have hit the fan in the fifth year. Juliana agrees with Carly. Harry and Cho would have dated for a while, but then there would have been conflict between them over what had happened after the third task with Cedric. Because, you know, she's still in love with Cedric. Yeah. Dave says they would have gotten married. Ginny would have ended up with Neville. Harry would have been miserable until they divorced 17 years later. Ginny and Neville would have been superbly happy forever. Wow, he is shit-stirring today, isn't he? (laughs) I mean, that's fully based on the movie. Yeah. Because they totally did kind of couple them up in that. Mm, True. So I liked it, actually. I don't agree (laughs) with it, but I liked it. Well, Max said that teenage pregnancies are a very serious problem in Scotland. I'm not sure what he's saying about that, but... I think he's implying that Harry would have gotten Joe pregnant. No, yeah, I got... I was was being facetious, but okay. I was being literal. (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for all of your responses. Hopefully soon I really am done traveling and actually going to make it to the phone store so I can get the phone set up for you guys to call in your ponderings in the future. So hopefully that happens this week. We will keep you updated. Fingers crossed, y'all. 
Our trivia question last week was, what curse did Victor Crumb use on the dragon? In Sirius's letter to Harry, he told him that he was going to suggest a conjunctivitis curse, as a dragon's eyes are its weakest point. And Hermione whispers, that's what Crumb did! Because she noticed. Because she noticed. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley! Woohoo! He's still building up his streak, now at 11 weeks. But this week, he had two people right on his heels. Oh yeah, both Robert and Sammy were literally one minute behind him. Maybe one of them will beat him this week. Maybe. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 23, the Yule Ball and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 23, the Yule Ball, Part 1. The fourth years are given a very heavy load of homework for the holidays, but Harry has no desire to work on it spending the week leading up to Christmas enjoying himself as much as possible. The common room crowd is slightly smaller than usual, but also rowdier, and Fred and George had great success with their canary creams, leading to people randomly bursting into feathers for the first few days of the holidays, before learning to treat food offered to them with extreme caution. George confides in Harry that he and Fred are developing something else, and Harry makes a mental note to never accept anything from them in the future. Snow is falling thickly around the castle, and the house elves are busy making rich warming stews and savory puddings, which only Fleur can find something to complain about, concerned that she won't fit into her dress robe since the food is too heavy. As Hermione comments on how she thinks a lot of herself, Ron tries to catch her off guard, again asking her who she's going to the ball with. Hermione still refuses to answer, and this time Malfoy overhears, expressing his shock that someone asked that long-mullered mudblood to the ball. Harry and Ron whip around, ready to fight, but Hermione waves to someone over Malfoy's shoulder, loudly calling hello to Professor Moody. Malfoy panics and looks around for the professor, and when he notices he's still up at the staff table, Hermione laughs and calls him a twitchy little ferret. The trio all laugh as they head up the marble staircase, and Ron notices that her teeth are different. She nonchalantly comments on how she wasn't going to keep the things that Malfoy gave her, and Ron reiterates that they are different from before that. Hermione gives a mischievous smile, and this time Harry notices that her teeth are very different from how he remembered them. She confesses that she let Madame Pomfrey carry on a bit more while shrinking them, admitting that her parents, who are both dentists, won't be pleased, but she's been trying to convince them to let her shrink them forever. They're interrupted by the arrival of Pigwidgeon, who's fluttering around the banisters and showing off, with a letter tied to his leg. Ron hurries up the stairs and snatches him, telling him to bring the letter straight to the addressee. The little owl hoots happily as Ron waves his fist and then yells at the shocked third-year girls to clear off. He pulls the letter off Pig's leg and hands it to Harry. They hurry back to the Gryffindor common room and sit apart from everyone else to read Sirius's response. He congratulates Harry, telling him that his way was better than what he was going to suggest, the conjunctivitis curse, which Hermione whispers is what Crumb did. Sirius says that whoever put his name in shouldn't be feeling too happy, 
but he also tells him not to become complacent because they still have plenty more opportunities to hurt him. Harry thinks Sirius sounds exactly like Moody and Hermione reminds him that there are two more tasks for him to complete, again saying he should really have a look at that egg. Ron insists that Harry has ages and asks if Harry wants to play chess. He agrees, and at the look on Hermione's face, he points out that he wouldn't be able to concentrate with all the noise anyway. She sighs, agrees, and settles in to watch their chess match. On Christmas morning, Harry awakes very suddenly, realizing that Dobby the house elf is leaning over him, almost nose to nose. He yells a startled, don't do that, and Dobby jumps backwards, squeaking his apologies. Harry tells him it's okay, but asks him to just prod him in the future. His yell woke up the rest of his roommates, but they didn't really mind since they have presents to open. Dobby asks if he can give Harry Potter his present, and Harry says he can, then pretends he has something for Dobby, too. He quickly opens his trunk and pulls out a pair of mustard-yellow knobbly socks that had once belonged to his Uncle Vernon. They're cushioning his sneakoscope, so he pulls it out and hands the socks to the little elf, telling him he's sorry he forgot to wrap them. Dobby is absolutely delighted, exclaiming that socks are his favorite clothes and he now has seven of them. He then goes on to say that they made a mistake in the shop and gave Harry two of the same socks. Ron grins at this, but offers Dobby a pair of violet socks so he can mix them up properly. Plus, the hand-knitted sweater his mom made him. An overwhelmed Dobby begins profusely thanking and complimenting Ron for being great, generous, noble, and selfless and Ron blushes before he's distracted by the present he just opened from Harry, a Chudley Cannon hat. Dobby then gives Harry his present, which also turns out to be socks that Dobby made himself. One is red with a pattern of broomsticks, and the other is green with a pattern of snitches. Harry isn't quite sure what to say about the odd socks, but says thanks and immediately puts them on, causing Dobby's eyes to tear up. The elf then has to leave to help make the Christmas dinner, and Harry goes on to open up the rest of his presents, which were much more satisfactory than Dobby's, with the exception of the Dursley's gift of a single tissue. Hermione gave him a book called Quidditch Teams of Britain and Ireland, Ron gave him a bag of dung bombs, Sirius gave him a pen knife with a lot of handy attachments, Hagrid gave him a huge box of sweets, and he got his usual package from Mrs. Weasley, with a green jumper depicting a dragon and a bunch of mince pies. The two boys meet up with Hermione in the common room and head down to breakfast together. They spend the rest of the morning in the common room where everyone is enjoying their presence, then head back to the Great Hall for lunch before heading out to the grounds to play in the snow. Hermione chooses to watch the snowball fight rather than participate, then at 5 o'clock she says she needs to head in to get ready for the ball. Ron is shocked that she needs three hours to get ready and again tries to get her to tell them who she's going with, but she just waves and heads into the castle. At 7 p.m., the others head back in to change into their dress robes. Harry, Dean, Seamus, and Neville all look very self-conscious, but none as much as Ron, who used a severing charm to remove the lace from his dress robes. It worked pretty well, but he hadn't done it very neatly and the edges are now depressingly frayed. They head downstairs and find the common room looking strange, filled with many different colors rather than the usual mass of black. 
Parvati looks very pretty in dress robes of a shocking pink, and Harry compliments her, relieved she isn't giggling. She thanks him and tells Ron that Padma is going to meet him in the entrance hall. Ron distractedly says, right, looking around for Hermione. They all head out, finding the entrance hall packed with students trying to find each other, and Parvati finds Padma and leads her over to Harry and Ron. She looks just as pretty as her sister in robes of bright turquoise, but doesn't look very enthusiastic about having Ron as a partner, especially after seeing his frayed robes. Ron says hi, but is still very distracted, looking around for Hermione, but briefly ducking out of sight of Fleur Delacour, who is wearing silver-gray satin robes and accompanied by Roger Davies. A group of Slytherins come in, and Malfoy is wearing dress robes of black velvet with a high collar that makes him look like a vicar, accompanied by Pansy Parkinson in frilly pale pink robes. Crab and Goyle are both looking like moss-covered boulders in green dress robes, and neither of them have dates. The oak front doors open, and the Durmstrang students arrive with Professor Karkarov. Crumb is at the front of the party with a pretty girl in blue robes that Harry doesn't know. Out the doors, they see that the lawn is decorated with hundreds of fairy lights, rose bushes, and statues of Father Christmas and his reindeer. Professor McGonagall calls for the champions to line up while everyone else goes in. Fleur and Roger position themselves right by the door. Cedric and Cho are right by Harry, and he looks away from them so he doesn't have to talk to them. Instead, he finds himself looking right at the girl next to Crumb, and his jaw drops as he realizes that it's Hermione. She's done something with her hair, and it's no longer bushy, but sleek and shiny, in an elegant knot at the back of her head. Her robes are a floaty, periwinkle blue material, and she's carrying herself differently. She's also smiling nervously, and it makes the difference in her teeth even more noticeable. She says hi to Harry and Parvati, and the latter gazes at her with unflattering disbelief, a look that's repeated by many people as they enter the Great Hall, which has been decorated with silver frost, mistletoe, ivy, and smaller lantern-lit tables. They head to the top table, with Parvati forcefully steering Harry as she smiles at everyone around her. Harry catches sight of Ron, who's watching Hermione with narrowed eyes, and also notices that Padma is looking sulky. Dumbledore is smiling as they approach the table, but Karkaroff's expression looks very similar to Ron's. Madame Maxime is wearing a flowing lavender silk gown and politely applauding the champions. Ludo Bagman is dressed in purple robes with large yellow stars, and Mr. Crouch is absent, though Percy Weasley is there as his replacement. Harry sits down next to Percy and finds out that he's been promoted to Mr. Crouch's personal assistant and is there representing him. He explains that Mr. Crouch isn't well due to overwork and the stress of the misbehavior of his house elf, so he's enjoying a well-earned quiet Christmas. Harry really wants to ask if he stopped calling Percy Weatherby, but resists the temptation. There's no food on the golden plates yet, but there are menus. Harry picks his menu up and looks around with uncertainty. He sees Dumbledore look at his menu and very clearly tell his plate that he wants pork chops. The pork chops appear and the rest of the table places their orders with their plates too. 
Harry is sure Hermione won't be happy about this complicated method of dining, but he glances over at her and sees that she is too distracted talking to Victor, who is enthusiastically telling her about the Durmstrang Castle and the lakes and mountains. Karkaroff nervously interrupts at this point, commenting about giving away too much information, and Dumbledore smiles saying that you'd think he didn't want visitors. Karkaroff insists that they're all protective of their private domains, that they jealously guard all their school secrets. Dumbledore says that he would never dream of assuming he knows all of Hogwarts' secrets, and tells a story of making a wrong turn that morning on his way to the bathroom, only to find a beautifully proportioned room filled with chamber pots. When he went back to investigate, it had vanished, but he will keep an eye out for it, saying possibly it's only available at 5.30 in the morning, or when the seeker has an exceptionally full bladder. Harry snorts and Percy frowns, though he's sure Dumbledore gives him a small wink. At the table, Fleur is criticizing the Hogwarts decorations to Roger Davies, who's so busy watching her talk he isn't really listening, and keeps missing his mouth with his fork. Harry looks around to see Hagrid in his horrible Harry Brown suit give a little wave to Madame Maxime, and then hears Hermione trying to teach Crumb to properly say her name since he keeps calling her Hermione. She breaks it down to Hermione and decides he's close enough when he starts saying Hermione. After all the food has been eaten, Dumbledore stands and motions for the students to do so as well. He waves his wand and sends all the tables along the walls, clearing the floor. He then conjures a raised platform with drums, guitars, a lute, a cello, and some bagpipes, and the weird sisters troop up on stage to wild applause. They are extremely hairy and dressed in artfully torn black robes. Harry is so interested in watching them that he almost forgets he has to go dance, until Parvati hisses at him to come on. He trips over his robes as the weird sisters strike up a slow, mournful tune and makes his way to the dance floor. Parvati seizes his hands, places one on her waist, and holds on tightly to the other. It isn't as bad as Harry had worried, with her steering, and soon so many people came onto the dance floor that the champions are no longer the center of attention. Neville and Ginny are dancing nearby, and Harry can see Ginny wins as Neville keeps stepping on her feet. He also sees Dumbledore dancing with Madame Maxime and Professor Sinistra nervously trying to avoid Mad-Eye Moody's wooden leg as she dances with him. He passes Harry and tells him, nice socks, causing Harry to grin and inform him that Dobby the house elf knitted them for him. Parvati calls him creepy and says that I shouldn't be allowed. And then the final note of the song plays and everyone in the Great Hall starts clapping. Harry lets go of Parvati and suggests they sit down, but another, much faster song starts up and Parvati protests, saying it's a good one. Harry pretends he doesn't like it and leads her over to the table where Ron and Pudmar are sitting. The movie scene starts out with an establishing shot showing Durmstrang's ship with Hogwarts Castle in the snowy background before transitioning to dressed-up students milling around the entrance hall and the Great Hall. It cuts to Ron standing in front of a mirror in the dormitory, looking panicky in his very ugly brown and orange frilly dress robes, with the frilly white collar and black bow tie. He turns away from the mirror when Harry enters the room wearing very sleek black and white tuxedo-style dress robes. Ron demands to know what Harry is wearing and says that they're all right, complaining that there's no lace or dodgy collar. 
Harry says that Ron's must be more traditional, and Ron declares that they're ancient, and he looks and smells like his great-aunt Tessie. He asks Harry to murder him, and it transitions to the two boys heading down to the entrance hall to meet their dates. As they walk down the stairs, Ron talks to Harry about Hermione, thinking she is alone and crying in her room, still assuming that she doesn't actually have a date to the dance, because she wouldn't tell them who it was. Harry figures that was because they'd take the mickey out of her if she did, but Ron is still convinced she isn't going with anyone. At this point, Parvati and Pudma walk up to them, wearing pink and orange dresses that are identical, though with the colors reversed. Padma looks at Ron's frilly dress robes and insincerely says he looks dashing. As the four of them stand around a bit awkwardly, Professor McGonagall approaches them and asks Harry if he and Miss Pottle are ready, explaining to him that it is traditional that the champions and their partners are the first to dance. She realizes she has not mentioned this to him before and tells him, well, now he knows. She gives Ron a once-over about his robes and tells him that he and Miss Pottle may proceed to the Great Hall before acknowledging someone else she was looking for. She heads over to Cedric Diggory and Cho Chang to give them directions as Ron and a reluctant Pudma walk to the Great Hall and Harry stares at the girl he wishes he could have taken to the ball. At this point, a nervous Hermione peers around the corner and is noticed by Parvati, who exclaims that she looks beautiful. Harry, still looking at Cho, agrees before he realizes that Parvati is looking in a completely different direction. He turns and sees Hermione walking down the stairs in a frilly pinkish-purple dress. Her hair is styled in an updo with curls cascading down one side and some curly tendrils on the other. Harry smiles at his friend, who is giving a shy smile to her date, Victor Crumb. Victor greets her with a bow and offers his hand, and as the two walk past Harry and Parvati, she gives him an embarrassed sort of grin and wave. The scene transitions to the ornate doors of the Great Hall opening to the sound of Trumpet's fanfare, as the rest of the guests stand and applaud the entrance of the champions, Fleur and her date, Victor and Hermione, Cedric and Cho, and lastly, Harry and Parvati. They all walk through an aisle created by the applauding guests, and Pudma is shocked to see Hermione Granger with Victor Crumb, as Ron completely denies it to be her. The camera shows a wide shot of the Great Hall, decorated with silvery hangings, pine trees, and magical falling snow, then focuses on Harry and Parvati. She says hi and waves to people as they walk onto the dance floor, as Harry nervously looks around. Once on the dance floor, Professor Flitwick taps his baton to start up the music, and Parvati mutters for Harry to take her waist. He's confused at first, but figures it out as the music starts, and they begin dancing. Dumbledore then leads McGonagall onto the dance floor, Filch holds Mrs. Norris and sways to the music, and as the champions continue to dance, Neville leads Ginny Weasley onto the dance floor. The camera cuts to Professor Moody sitting on a bench in a kilt decorated with a ferret, tapping both his real foot and a shiny silver metal one to the music. He pulls out his flask and takes a swig, again causing his mad eye to give a swirl. The camera then shifts to Madame Maxime standing next to an ice sculpture as Hagrid sidles up next to her and asks her to dance by nodding his head towards the dance floor, where everyone is twirling to the ballroom music. As per usual... The book chapter starts out on quite a bit of narrative that the movie completely omits. What? So even though he has a ton of homework as a fourth year student, Harry has no desire to work on it and spends the week leading up to Christmas enjoying himself as much as possible. The common room crowd is slightly smaller than usual since mostly 
only the younger students went home, but it's also rowdier because everyone's super excited about the ball. Well, yeah, teenagers love balls. (laughs) (laughs) Fred and George were clearly very successful selling their canary creams because people keep randomly bursting into feathers until the Gryffindors all learn to treat the food offered to them with extreme caution. (laughs) Wait, where did you get this? Wait, are we friends? Nowhere. It's okay, trust me. (laughs) I just want to share with you. When George tells Harry that he and Fred are developing something new, Harry makes a mental note not to accept even a crumb from them in the future. Probably a good motto for life, (laughs) I would think, yeah. Don't trust the Weasley twins? Pretty much, yeah. Mm -hmm. The Christmas season has come with a lot of snow, and the house elves make rich warming stews and savory puddings, causing Fleur to complain that the food is too heavy and she won't fit into her dress robes. She would. I kind of feel like the dress robes would be roomier, though. You would think. I don't think they're form-fitting dress robes, so that's a lot of heavy food. Right. Hermione, probably jealous that Ron asked Fleur to the dance, comments on how she thinks a lot of herself. And Ron uses his opportunity to try and catch her off guard, again asking her who she's going to the ball with. Because he's been doing this a lot lately, just Mm -hmm. hoping that she'll, like, hit that Hermione mode where she has to answer a question because she has the answer, and... It's not working, and Hermione keeps refusing to tell them. Yep. Nazi von Douchebag II overhears him ask this time, and dickishly expresses his shock that someone asked that long-mullered mudblood to the ball. Well, you know what? Hermione's rubber and you are glue. And you suck. (laughs) (laughs) Harry and Ron are ready to fight him. But Hermione just nonchalantly waves to someone over Malfoy's shoulder and calls, Hello, Professor Moody! (laughs) Malfoy panics and looks around for the professor before realizing that he's still up at the staff table. And Hermione laughs and calls him a twitchy little ferret. I love it. I love the use of ferret as a nickname for Malfoy. Twitchy little douche ferret. Mm -hmm. It's just so fitting. Ron and Harry join in laughing as they head up the marble staircase And Ron notices that Hermione's teeth look different. She says that she wasn't going to keep those things that Malfoy gave her, but Ron insists that they're different from before that. It's nice that he noticed. Yeah. I mean... Hermione gives a very mischievous smile, and this time Harry's like, wait a second, your teeth are smaller and straighter than how I remember them. (laughs) What? And Hermione admits that she let Madame Pomfrey carry on a bit more while shrinking them, even though her parents won't be pleased, you know, both being dentists and all. I don't see why they wouldn't be pleased, though. If like, they're... oh, look, your teeth are pretty. But she didn't carry on with her braces. Mm. They don't think that magic and teeth should mix. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. All right, I'll give them that. And she'd been trying to convince them to let her shrink them forever, but finally figured it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Nothing they can do about it now, muggles. And this is something that obviously couldn't be included in the movie because her teeth were never really that big, aside from the one scene. Mm-hmm. At the end of Sorcerer's Stone yeah. on the train. I thought she sounded fine then. And honestly, it wouldn't have bothered me if her big fake teeth did make it difficult for her to talk. Because how easy would it be to talk with big teeth anyway? Right? And I mean, I feel like that would be more realistic then. Right. I mean, I've got these braces and they messed up my talking at first, but after a while it got pretty normal. Mm -hmm. Every now and then I have trouble with S's, but... It happens. Yeah. 
if I had big buck teeth, I'd probably have trouble with S's too. So yeah, just they should have made her wear them longer and she'd get used to it and it'd be fine. But exactly. no, instead, they just let her have pretty teeth the whole time. Essentially not necessary to put in the movie because yeah. you didn't need it anymore. But also you didn't get that character development. Right. The transformation. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, too. Mm-hmm. The trio are then interrupted by Pigwidgeon, who has a letter tied to his leg, but is fluttering around some third-year girls rather than delivering it. Ron hurries up the stairs and snatches him, telling him to bring the letter straight to the addressee, not hang around and show off. And the little owl hoots happily as Ron's just, like, waving his fist around. The owl is just flying through the air in his fist, and he's like, whee! <laughs> and the girls that are watching are like, oh my god, that poor owl. But the, the owl's just like, woohoo! <laughs> and Ron tells the girls to clear off and pulls the letter off Pig's leg and hands it to Harry. I love that Pig is essentially just a puppy at that point. Yes. Playing, like, fetch or whatever. <laughs> Hurrying back to the Gryffindor common room, they sit apart from everyone else and read Sirius's response. He tells Harry that his way was better than what he was going to suggest, which was the conjunctivitis curse. Hermione whispers that was what Crumb did. Which was our trivia question. Yep. Sirius also wrote that whoever put Harry's name in shouldn't be feeling too happy, but also reminds him not to become complacent because they still have plenty more opportunities to hurt him. And Harry thinks he sounds exactly like Mad-Eye Moody. Constant vigilance! Exactly. <laughs> he wonders if they think he's just walking around with his eyes closed and bouncing off walls. Wait, he's not? <laughs> Could have fooled me. Right? <laughs> Hermione points out that there are two more tasks for him to complete and again tells him that he really needs to look at that damn egg. <laughs> Does he? He needs to do what now? Can you say that again for me? He really needs to look at that damn egg. <laughs> Oh, that's my new favorite thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> well, I'm happy to entertain you, I guess. Well done. Ron insists that Harry has ages before the next task and instead asks if Harry wants to play some chess. Harry agrees and when she gives him a disapproving look, tells Hermione that he wouldn't be able to concentrate with all the noise anyway. She sighs, but agrees and settles in to watch their chess match. Boy, what a pushover. Right? <laughs> Harry wakes up very suddenly on Christmas morning because Dobby the house elf is leaning over him nearly nose to nose. Startled, he yells, don't do that! <laughs> and Dobby jumps backwards, squeaking that he's sorry he just wanted to give him his Christmas present. Aww. Harry tells him it's okay, but requests that he just prod him or something in the future <laughs> his yell woke up the rest of his dormitory but they get over it pretty quickly when they see they have presents to open yay presents dobby asks if he can give harry potter his present and harry says of course he can and lies pretending that he has something for dobby too <laughs> he quickly opens his trunk and pulls out a foul pair of mustard yellow socks that had once belonged to his uncle vernon Ew. They're all knobbly now from cushioning his sneakoscope, but he pulls the untrustworthy detector out of them and hands the socks to the little elf, saying he was sorry he forgot to wrap them. Sure he did. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter to Dobby, though. He's absolutely delighted because socks are his favorite clothes. <laughs> he tells them that he now has seven of them. <laughs> I love Dobby. <laughs> 
but also goes on to say that they made a mistake in the shop because they gave Harry two of the same socks. Aww. Ron grins at this, but then offers Dobby a pair of violet socks that he got as a gift so he can mix them up properly. He also hands over the maroon hand-knitted sweater that his mom made him. He had to be just shitting himself excited, man. (laughs) It makes me feel a little bad for Molly. Right. But I see it as like, how many sweaters does Ron have? I mean, it's not like it's a, you know, the only sweater he's got. He always gets maroon sweater. And he doesn't like maroon sweaters. Yeah. And this made Dobby really happy. It did. It totally overwhelms him. And he begins thinking and complimenting Ron just profusely. Like, you're so great and generous and noble and selfless. And Ron blushes. But he's then distracted by the present that Harry got him, which is a Chudley cannon hat. Which he immediately puts on and it clashes horribly with his red hair. And probably his red face. Yeah. Red and orange just don't go well together. No. They just don't. Dobby then gives Harry his present, which is also socks that he made himself. One is red with a pattern of broomsticks, and the other is green with a pattern of snitches. And I would wear the shit out of those socks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do they exist? They should. They should. We should make them. I'm not a very good sock maker. I mean, neither am I, but... Certainly not patterned. How good is... Well, Dobby's got to be pretty good if he did do a pattern on that he's got magic too true i feel like house elves probably had to make things and mend things for their owners so they probably have a special kind of magic specifically for things like that man that just ruins my whole theory that it was like a little kind of crap socks no i think they were awesome but you're right and it makes sense damn it (laughs) (laughs) though harry isn't quite sure what to say about them he's not as enthusiastic as i am and he ends up just Thanking the elf and putting them on, but that causes Dobby to tear up. Aww. Like, oh, Harry Potter loves my socks. Dobby then heads back to the kitchens to help make the Christmas dinner, and Harry continues opening the rest of his presents, which are much more satisfactory than Dobby's odd socks, though I personally would love to get Dobby's socks. However, this is also not including the single tissues that the Dursleys sent him. Oh, that's so nice of them. Right. I mean, maybe he had a runny nose. It is winter. Mm. It could have been useful. At least it wasn't used. There is that. You know? Hermione's gift was a book, shocker, called Quidditch Teams of Britain and Ireland. So a decent book. Right. For them. Yeah. Ron gave Harry a large bag of dung bombs. Sirius gave him a pen knife with a lot of handy attachments that would unlock any lock or untie any knot. Ooh, I need that. Yeah, that'd be handy. Mm Mm-hmm. Hagrid gave him a huge box of his favorite sweets, hopefully ones he did not make himself. (laughs) Plus, he got his usual package from Mrs. Weasley that included a green jumper with a dragon on it and a bunch of homemade mince pies. I love that she put a dragon on his jumper. I know. That just makes me so happy. I know. (laughs) Ron and Harry meet up with Hermione in the common room and they all head down to breakfast together. They hung out in the common room until lunch and then go outside to the grounds to play in the snow. That just sounds so weird. After everything Harry's been through, like, he's just going to go play in the snow. I don't know why. It just, it seems odd to me. It's Christmas. I know, but it just seems so frivolous and normal. Yes. What else is he supposed to do? I don't know. Be moody and, and... I don't know. I love the fact that Harry gets some normal 
moments as a kid. I mean, I love it too, but it's just weird to me, I guess. That's, that's all. It's not very often that that happens. No. Hermione decides to watch the snowball fight instead of joining in. And then at five o'clock, she says she needs to head in to get ready for the ball. And Ron's just like, you need three hours to get ready? Like, I know you only have one sister and she's younger than you. (laughs) And a mother who probably puts her millions of children ahead of spending a lot of time getting ready. But dude, have you never seen a woman? No. No, he hasn't. He really hasn't. (laughs) Apparently. You saw him trying to ask Fleur out. (laughs) Well, we didn't see it, but you heard the recap of him trying to ask Fleur out. Actually, he kind of shouted it at her. It was a bit frightening. A bit frightening. Yeah. He's not quite with it with the chicks. He also uses this opportunity to try and catch her off guard again and ask her who she's going with. But again, Hermione just ignores the question. She's too quick for you. And then the rest of them all go in at seven to get ready. And once in their dress robes, Harry, Dean, Seamus, and Neville are all looking and feeling a little self-conscious. They're like, okay, this is weird. (laughs) But none of them are anywhere near as self-conscious as Ron. Oh, I don't blame him. He attempted to remove the moldy looking lace with a severing charm. And that actually worked fairly well. Except that he hadn't done a very neat job with it. And the edges are just really ragged. I mean, was it really that noticeable, though, with the rest of it? Probably. Mm. There's no ugly moldy lace to distract from the ragged edges. Very true. But now we are basically where the movie correlates. So yay, I get to say stuff. (laughs) It starts out showing Durmstrang's ship decorated with lights hung from the masts and sails with Hogwarts Castle in the snowy background. Before cutting to the fancy pants students all dressed up and meandering around the entrance hall waiting for the ball to start. I thought that was a really good visual for what I pictured from the book. Mm-hmm. I like the setup of it. Mm-hmm. And I like that even though, like, the Durmstrang ship is, like, all brooding and stuff, they still had lights Yeah, up on the mast. That's just fun to me. We then see Ron checking himself in his hideous brown and orange dress robes out in the mirror, looking a little bit terrified and feeling like no less than a frilly nightmare. <laughs> Considering Ron has been such a huge dick the whole movie... They feel more like some form of, I don't know, like a garish kind of karma than anything else, really. And unlike in the book, he doesn't bother to remove the lace. He embraces it rather than delaces it. Go to your room, Ellen. (laughs) Just go to your room now. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Wow. It rhymes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one thing it does. Sure. Uh Uh-huh. Embraces, not delaces. Moving on. Ron's last small bit of hope that all dress robes are fugly as hell is dashed when Harry enters the room, looking as dapper as an awkward 14-year-old with a terrible haircut can, (laughs) in his sleek black-and-white tuxedo-style dress robes. He demands to know why Harry doesn't look like he's been shit on by a blast-ended scroot, but all Harry can do is shrug. Because really, what do you say at that point? Sorry I look better than you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm so pretty. Hmm. I don't think you're ready for this jelly. (laughs) (laughs) How much jelly does Harry really have? (laughs) And do we want any of it at this point? I don't think we do. Harry says that Ron's must be more traditional, and Ron declares that they are ancient and proceeds to insult his great-aunt Tessie, 
who I'm sure is a lovely woman. Probably, you know? But he complains that the robes have a very distinct look and odor to them, reminiscent of her. I'm genuinely a little bummed that they created a great Aunt Tessie rather than throwing his great auntie Muriel under the bus. Right? At least use an actual character. Right? Damn. He asks Harry to murder him, and Harry just tells him that Seamus told Pravati to tell Lavender to tell Neville to tell McGonagall to tell Buckbeak that he's just plain shit out of luck. (laughs) And they head down to the entrance hall to meet their dates. What? Please don't make me say it again. In the book, (laughs) they head down to the common room, which looks strange since it's filled with many different colors instead of the typical all black of their robes. This is where Harry finds Parvati, looking very pretty in hot pink dress robes, and he's relieved that she isn't giggling. Although she isn't really the worst of the gigglers. Between her and Lavender? Mm Mm-hmm. But he awkwardly tells her that she looks nice, and she thanks him before telling Ron that Padma is going to meet him in the entrance hall. Ron's like, all right, because he's so distracted looking around for Hermione, he's barely paying attention to anything else going on. He doesn't see her, and they all head to the entrance hall, finding it packed with students trying to find each other. The movie plays this a lot differently, because instead of looking for Hermione as they walk down the stairs... Ron talks to Harry about Hermione in an attempt to make himself feel better about looking like a giant ginger turd, thinking that she's all alone crying in her room since she doesn't actually have a date to the ball. He figures that's why she wouldn't tell them who her supposed date was, while Harry supposes that was because they'd mock the shit out of her if she did. But Ron's convinced that she's just dateless. Ron, 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 Ron. Parvati finds Padma, looking just as pretty, in bright turquoise robes, and leads her over to Harry and Ron. She also doesn't look very enthusiastic about having Ron as a dance partner, especially after seeing his frayed robes. She should have seen the lace. Right? (laughs) Oof. (laughs) Ron manages to say hi to her, but he doesn't even look at her, because he's still looking around for Hermione. Dude, focus, man. He briefly ducks out of sight when he sees Fleur Delacour, who's dressed in silver-gray satin robes and accompanied by Roger Davies. At this point in the movie, Parvati and Padma meet them at the bottom of the stairs wearing some truly god-awful pink and orange dresses that are identical, though with the colors reversed. And the thing about that is Indian garb is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Those girls... The reason why I know how to properly pronounce their names is is because of an Indian woman on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And she also made this comment about how she bets those actresses had prettier dresses in their closet that they could have worn. Instead, they put them in those monstrosities. I bet they had prettier dresses in their garbage. (laughs) Honestly, like, they're hideous. They were not good. They're so bad. I would have loved to have seen the hot pink and the turquoise. Mm Mm-hmm. I would have loved that. Not to mention the ladies' dress robes in yes, general. Exactly. I'm sure we'll talk more about that as well. Mm-hmm. Padma's eyes widen to take in the uniqueness of Ron's frilly dress robes. And she very insincerely says that he looks dashing. You look 
dashing. So at least she's more polite than he is, though. There is that. So (laughs) the book also includes details on some other people attending the ball with the arrival of a group of Slytherins. Mm -hmm. Harry notices that Nazi von Douchebag II is wearing black velvet dress robes that have a high collar and make him look like a vicar. That's so extra. I know. (laughs) So extra. Especially that they're velvet, too. Everything about that. I keep reminding myself, I'm like, oh, it was the 90s, it was the 90s, it was the 90s, but oh, there's just no excuse. I really, really, really wish that we could have seen Draco in dress robes made out of velvet. Right? With a giant-ass collar. I agree. It's some bullshit, man. He's accompanied by Pansy Parkinson, who's wearing frilly pale pink robes. Sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. And Crab and Goyle are also with them, both looking like moss-covered boulders in their green dress robes. But Harry is pleased to see that neither of them have dates. It's interesting that he would assume that they are not each other's dates. That is very assumptive. I like to think <laughs> that they are. Right? I mean, it's got to be someone for everyone. Right? Why not Crab and Goyle? Why not? Their names go well together. They do. The crab goyles. Maybe goyle crabs. That sounds sounds like a new species of marine life. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, the front doors then open and the Durmstrang students walk in with Professor Karkaroff. Crumb is leading the party with a pretty girl in blue robes that Harry doesn't recognize. Or does he? Or does he? Oh, da-na-na-na. Through the open doors, they see that the lawns now decorated with hundreds of fairy lights, rose bushes, and statues of Father Christmas and his reindeer. Sure. As long as it's not one of those giant blow-up ones. Right? Classy. <laughs> that just gave me the best mental image, though. <laughs> <laughs> Professor McGonagall beckons the champions, and they form a line while everyone else goes into the Great Hall. Professor McGonagall does approach them in the movie as well, though she asks Harry if he and Miss Paddle are ready. And when Harry inquires what they should be ready for, McGonagall tells him that it is tradition for the champions and their partners to dance first at the ball. He tells her that she had not mentioned this cute little factoid before, and she responds with, Well, now you know. (laughs) Which is not how it was set up in the book. No. Since she definitely informed him that he needed to have a partner to dance with and made it very clear that he wasn't getting out of that one. Yeah, but in the movie, they don't they don't do stuff from the book. Silly Ellen. What? (laughs) Also in the movie, McGonagall eyes Ron's robes with something akin to shock, maybe revulsion. A little of both. Why not both? Why not both? Sure. Yeah. Nice. A nice little mixture. Shuck bulgin. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Sounds salacious. And it's definitely something that I would look at Ron's robes with. So, yeah. Shock bulgin. Shock mm-hmm. bulgin. I got it. But she tells him that he and Miss Pottle may go into the Great Hall with the other students before making a quick getaway to direct Cedric Diggory and Cho Chang to their places. Ron and a very reluctant Pudma walk into the Great Hall and Harry stares longingly at Cho. The girl he wishes he could have taken to the ball. Cho Chang. Everyone takes their places in the book, too, 
with Fleur and Roger positioning themselves first, right by the door. Of course. Cedric and Cho end up next to Harry, and he looks away so he doesn't have to talk to them. I mean, that's how I deal with people, with, like, those mall kiosk people, is I just look at everything. <laughs> blinders, blinders. <laughs> I look at the complete opposite way, whatever it is. Hey, look, there's a sale at the sports store. I really care about this. But this is slightly different from his mooning over her in the movie. Yeah, he's just blatantly trying to avoid looking at them so he doesn't get stuck talking to them because that would be awkward as fuck. I mean, mainly because Harry himself is awkward as fuck. So yeah, there's that. Instead, he looks right at the girl next to Crumb and is shocked to realize that she is Hermione. What? Her hair is no longer bushy, but sleek and shiny, and twisted into an elegant knot at the back of her head. She's wearing dress robes of a floaty periwinkle blue material, and likely due to the absence of a ton of books, she's carrying herself differently. She's also smiling rather nervously, and it makes the difference in her teeth even more noticeable. And Harry's like, how the fuck did I not see that before? Because you're not observant, Harry. You're not. (laughs) And all of this is different from the film for multiple reasons. For one, as we mentioned, Hermione's teeth were never over large. So there was no huge transformation there. Right. Also, her hair was never bushy enough for her hairstyle in this scene to make any huge difference either. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the fact that it wasn't remotely a sleek knot at the back of her head. Yeah. And on top of that, she got more of a grand entrance rather than Harry not even recognizing her at first. Because in the movie, she nervously peers around the corner and is noticed by Parvati, who exclaims that she looks beautiful despite not really looking very different than any other time, aside from the ugly pink dress and the updo. The dress is terrible and not remotely floaty periwinkle dress robes! It's horrible. It's so bad! And honestly, I don't mind the color of the dress. Like, if they felt like that color was more flattering on her, that it stood out more from all of the bluish-white decorations, that's fine. I could accept that. The dress itself was a terrible style for a young teenage girl. It's Number just one, gross. Number two, ruffles are awful. Mm-hmm. We're over here like freaking out about Ron's ruffles, but then they go and put a shit ton of them on Hermione too. Right. And number three, it's not dress robes, and I really wanted to see the dress robes. Yeah, I loved the whole concept of magical clothing. And them not dressing like muggles and them struggling to dress like muggles. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand why they were always fucking dressed like muggles in the movies. (laughs) See, the movie version of Hermione's glow up, or as the kids say nowadays. I don't think they say that anymore. Oh, shit. (laughs) Uh, As the old people who think they're cool say nowadays. Yep. As I just did. It's like in... All the teen movies in the 90s were literally it was the nerd girl and they just took off her glasses and they were like, oh, my God, she's so beautiful. It was the equivalent of that. I wanted to see the transition. I wanted the Princess Princess Diaries. Diaries. I wanted the Princess Diaries transition. I did. Huge frizzy hair that breaks brushes Mm -hmm. into sleek and beautiful. That was a huge 
transformation. Yeah. That is visual. And it's movies. It's a movie. Mm-hmm. You can go so visual with that. But they all Hollywoodized Hermione ahead of time and they made her beautiful. And she is beautiful. And that's yeah. fine. Hermione can be pretty. But she didn't care that much about it, so she didn't bother styling her hair. Mm-hmm. She should have had big teeth that got fixed. And she's just constantly loaded down with books. So this should have been a change, and it wasn't. She was in an ugly dress. Yeah. That was it. That was it. Rawr. So you took already pretty Emma Watson and just put her in an ugly dress. <laughs> and expected us to be like, oh, she's so beautiful. And we're just like, what the fuck is that dress? Right? Those aren't dress robes. It's not blue. And it's frilly. I don't what like the frilly. Fuck? Come on, Anyway, guys. though. Moving on. <sighs> we got to get off this topic or we're never getting off this topic. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But Harry, who is still looking at Cho at this point in the movie, agrees with Parvati while thinking that his date might not be so bad if they can just discuss hot chicks the whole time. <laughs> right? right? Yeah, right. Yeah. What's hey. up, Parvati? You're right. <laughs> but his hopes are dashed as he soon realizes that Parvati is looking in a completely different direction. Which gets a similar gist to the book, though way more positive. Mm-hmm. Because when Hermione says hi to Harry, Parvati just gazes at her with unflattering disbelief. Yeah. As opposed to any kind of complimentary acknowledgement. She looks beautiful. No, it's just like, huh? Yeah. I imagine like a mean girl stare. Like, what is she doing? Like, how? No, that's not. What? Who does she think she is? Oh, my God. In the movie, Harry turns and sees Hermione descending the stairs in a frilly pinkish purple monstrosity. I mean, dress. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what we're calling it in this episode. Her hair is styled in a curly updo, and it is, to be fair, the closest she comes to looking like book Hermione since the first movie, which... Granted, isn't really saying much. Yeah, I didn't really picture the elegant not having so many loose curls, but it definitely was far sleeker than Hermione's hair was always described to be in the book. Mm-hmm. Just didn't really look extra sleek compared to her movie hair. Yeah. But if she would have had book hair the whole time, that hairstyle would have looked pretty sleek. Agreed. In comparison. So, But moving on, we're not going to get on this again. Harry smiles at his friend, who is giving a shy smile to her date, Victor Crumb. Whoa! Oh my god! It's a man! A man? She's got a date with a man! Oh my stars! (laughs) Meanwhile, she's trying and failing to play it cool. But she seems to be a kiss on the hand away from becoming a girly puddle of goo at the bottom of the stairs. I mean... I would have, too, in that situation. Right. He's so, like... Grumpy. Grumpy. And dashing. And dashing. And brooding. And brooding. Oh, we love the brooding. And muscly. Mm-hmm. And he has an entourage of girls, but he picked me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make the same noises that I made fun of the girls who follow him around for making. Victor greets her with a bow and offers his arm, and as the two walk past Harry and Parvati... She gives him a Twitter-pated sort of smile and wave. So it really does leave out the less-than-flattering look Parvati gives her in the book. Like we said before. 
That look is also repeated by many other people as the champions and their dates all enter the Great Hall. Mm -hmm. They make their way up to the top table and Harry concentrates on not tripping as Parvati forcefully steers him and smiles at everyone around her. Sounds like she practiced. Probably. Mm -hmm. I'm totally Harry in that moment, too. Walking through a group of people, it's like, don't trip, don't trip, don't trip. <laughs> mm -hmm. Harry notices that Ron is watching Hermione with narrowed eyes and also sees that Padma is looking quite sulky. As they approach their table, Dumbledore is smiling, but Karkaroff's expression looks very similar to Ron's as he looks at Victor and Hermione. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Madame Maxime traded her all-black for a flowing lavender silk gown and is politely applauding the champions. Ludo Bagman is also dressed in purple, a darker purple. I like to imagine it's a very bright purple as well, like royal purple. Royal. I was just thinking royal purple. With large yellow stars. And Mr. Crouch is absent, though Percy Weasley is there to take his place. Of course, we don't see any of them in this scene. But Ludo Bagman wouldn't be there even if we did because there's no Ludo Bagman in this movie because the movie sucks. Newell! Newell! Anyway, Percy pulls out a chair for Harry. So he sits down next to his friend's brother and learns that he'd been promoted to Mr. Grouch's personal assistant and is there representing him. Apparently, Mr. Grouch isn't doing very well, what with being overworked and dealing with the stress from the misbehavior of his house elf, Blinky, or whatever. Thank God Hermione can't hear him. Yeah. But anyway, Harry learns that Crouch is supposedly enjoying a well-earned, quiet Christmas, but all he really wants to know is if he's stopped calling Percy Weatherby. <laughs> I'm quite curious myself. Right? I think we learn later that he hasn't, but yeah. Harry resists the temptation to ask and instead looks around the table. It just seems like his promotion was just some bullshit thing that Crouch was like, God, I really don't want to go to this thing. Who can I get to go for me? Who's here? You, you, hey, I promoted you. Well, in reality, it's something else entirely, but we will talk more about that later. Yes, true. And none of this is included in the movie. Did I mention that? Because once or twice, I feel like I say it a lot. And I feel like I'm not done saying it. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> the scene just transitions to the ornately decorated doors of the Great Hall opening to the sound of trumpets fanfare as everyone stands to applaud the entrance of the champions. Fleur and Roger Davies. Though the only way you could possibly know that is if you read the books or the credits. Right? Yeah, they were followed by Victor and Hermione, Cedric and Cho, and lastly, a somewhat green around the gills Harry and Parvati. Mm-hmm. They all walk down the aisle created by the applauding students and staff, and Padma incredulously points out that Hermione Granger is with Victor Crumb. What? What? Ron, who has just discovered his favorite river in Egypt, completely refuses to believe that is her. So it gives us a little taste of the disbelief from the book. Though book Ron is far less in denial and more so just plain vexed. Yep. We then see a wide shot of the Great Hall in all its wintry splendor, decorated with silvery hangings, pine trees, and magical falling snow, before the camera focuses on Harry and Parvati. 
She waves to people and says hi as they make their way onto the dance floor. Harry is definitely about to blow some serious chunks as he looks around the crowd nervously. In the book, before they start up the dancing, they have a full dinner. However, there aren't a ton of details about it. Mm -hmm. Just that the golden plates are empty of food, but there are menus, though no waiters. Harry picks up his menu and watches Dumbledore very clearly inform his plate that he would like pork chops. I love that. I know. I need that plate. Right? (laughs) When the pork chops magically appear, the rest of the table places orders with their plates as well. That would be really freaking cool. Right? I wonder if you could get stuff that was actually off menu. Like, I just want an ice cream sundae. Right. And then the plate's just like, you're shit out of luck. Sorry. (laughs) Not on the menu. (laughs) We do get more details about some of the things going on during dinner. Harry looks over at Hermione, sure that she wouldn't be happy about all the extra work this must be creating for the house elves, but she's so distracted talking to Victor that she doesn't even notice. Well, suddenly our morals are just out the window, aren't they? Victor is enthusiastically telling her about the Durmstrang Castle and how they don't get to enjoy the lakes and mountains as much when it's cold. But he's then interrupted by a nervous Karkaroff who doesn't want his student giving too much away about where they're located. That's so cute that he's like so excited to talk to her, though. I know. It makes me kind of sad because we'll get to it later. But the way that she portrays their relationship in the movie is quite Mm -hmm. different than this. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Dumbledore smiles, saying, you'd think he didn't want visitors. And Karkaroff insists that they're all very protective of their private domains, jealously guarding all of their school secrets. And Dumbledore's just like, I wouldn't even dream that I know all of Hogwarts' secrets. Mm -hmm. And he tells them that just that morning he made a wrong turn on his way to the bathroom, only to find a beautifully proportioned room filled with chamber pots. Maybe he should have looked harder for indoor plumbing. Just saying. Maybe. (laughs) When he later went back to investigate, it had vanished, but he plans to keep an eye out for it, saying possibly it's only available at 530 in the morning or when the seeker has an exceptionally full bladder. Both of those are very valid options. Right? Mm -hmm. Harry snorts and Percy frowns, but Harry is sure that Dumbledore gave him a small wink. That's what he does. Yeah. That's Dumbledore for you. But I love that this is mentioned here because we are definitely going to end up talking about this again later. Mm-hmm. Little subtle foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Harry looks around at the rest of the table and sees Fleur shockingly criticizing the Hogwarts decorations to Roger Davies. <gasps> who's so busy watching her talk that he's not actually hearing what she's saying Anne keeps missing his mouth with his fork, and I would have loved to see that. Right. For a movie that they were doing a lot of comedy in, Mm -hmm. that could have been fun. And it also could have been like a little throwback to Hagrid stabbing Flitwick's hand. Yeah. And he could have like accidentally stabbed someone too. Right. We love accidental stabbings on this show, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) He also sees Hagrid in his horrible Harry Brown suit as he gives a little wave to Madame Maxime. And then he hears Hermione trying to teach Crumb to properly say her name because he keeps calling her Hermione. (laughs) And she breaks it down to Hermione. And this is literally the moment that I learned how to say her name properly. Mm -hmm. 
luckily for me, I literally read the first four books back to back. So it's not like I was spending all of this time saying it wrong. It was a matter of days in my situation. Yeah. But I could imagine had I started reading them right when they first came out, I would have just been saying Hermione wrong for years. Yeah. I mean, Hermione actually makes sense to me when you just look at Hermione spelled out. See, I was saying like Hermione. Yeah, I could see Hermione too. Hermione, Hermione, Hermione. Like, like the Oneaters? Yeah, Hermione. I think Own would work too. The Oneaters. Yeah. The Oneaters. <laughs> but so she explains it's Hermione and mm-hmm. decides that he's close enough when he starts saying Hermione. I mean, that's close enough for me. Honestly, if he didn't have it as Ninny at the end, Hermione is a lot closer than Hermione. So, mm-hmm. yeah, close enough. Okay. Like, dude. He's a foreign exchange student who's a professional Quidditch player. Like, give him a break. <laughs> it's still better than just Hermie. Exactly. Which we'll talk more about later. Mm-hmm. Once everyone's done eating, Dumbledore stands and motions for everyone else to do so as well. And then we can get to the dancing. He waves his wand and sends all the tables along the walls to clear the floor. And then conjures a raised platform with drums, guitars, a lute, a cello, and some bagpipes. And everyone claps wildly as the weird sisters take the stage. Woo! They are extremely hairy and dressed in artfully torn black robes. Harry is so interested in watching them that he almost forgets what comes next until Parvati hisses at him to come on. The weird sisters strike up a slow, mournful tune, and he trips over his robes as they make their way to the dance floor. Ooh, so close, Harry. You're doing so well. (laughs) So good. Not quite. Almost there. In the movie, the music for the first dance is not played by the weird sisters, who we'll end up talking more about next week. Instead, once everyone is in their places on the dance floor, Professor Flitwick taps his baton to start up the music, and Parvati mutters for Harry to take her waist. He's confused at first, wanting to remind her that they're a magical school, not a medical one, and anatomy isn't on the syllabus, (laughs) but figures it out just as the music starts, and they begin really awkwardly dancing. Yeah. In the book, Parvati just grabs Harry's hands and places one on her waist and grips the other one tightly, and then she does all of the steering, so... Dancing isn't as bad as Harry was worried it was going to be. He didn't have to lead. Right. Then so many other people joined them on the dance floor that the champions were no longer the center of attention and he could just sort of like disappear in the crowd and he was fine. He probably just let out a big old sigh of relief on that one. Yeah. Since they had their maybe helpful dance lessons with McGonagall, it wasn't so much Parvati leading the dance. The champions and their dates do a few weird moves and a lifty type thing before Dumbledore then leads McGonagall onto the dance floor to show these little bastards how it's done. (laughs) Filch holds Mrs. Norris and sways to the music like a creeper. Though still less awkward than Harry and Parvati's dancing. Very true. (laughs) Like, even the ones you could tell were doing the dance properly, it still looked awkward as fuck. It was just a weird dance. Yeah. Guys... It's a simple box step. Don't try to fix stuff that's not broken. That's all I'm saying. But as the champions continue to dance, more couples join them, including Igor Karkaroff and a tiny but severe-looking woman. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I have no idea who that was, but... I have a theory. Yeah? Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Moving on. Neville leads Ginny Weasley onto the dance floor, and we are reminded that she called Ron's robes ghastly, yet somehow decided on a dress that looks like it was designed by a toddler. Yeah, it was also not great. It's a terrible dress. I poor Ginny. Holy balls. Nice color on her. Decent color, yes, but the dress was just... Eh. Like, Molly could have knitted something better than that. In her sleep. Mm-hmm. With a cold. Yes. <laughs> In the book, Ginny and Neville are also dancing, and Harry sees her wince repeatedly as Neville keeps trotting on her feet. Aww. So this is a little bit differently than how the movie had it, since they gave Neville some moves. Well, they had him practicing in the dorm, too. Right. So. Also, Dumbledore is dancing with Madame Maxime, not McGonagall, though I like to think he had a dance with her later. Mm-hmm. I also wonder if the severe-looking woman that Karkaroff dances with is Professor Sinistra. I was thinking that myself. That's a good point. Because in the book, they have her nervously trying to avoid Mad-Eye Moody's wooden leg as she dances with him. Mm-hmm. And they pass by Harry, and Moody creepily uses his x-ray vision to look through Harry's robes. Ew. He comments on his socks, causing Harry to grin and explain that Dobby the house elf knitted them for him. Parvati also finds this creepy and says that that eye shouldn't be allowed. But he literally looked through his robes to see his socks. Like, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, you just like broke glass in my head that I really didn't want broken. <laughs> sorry. I didn't even think of it that way. I thought like, I don't know, I thought his shit hiked up or something. You could see his, so like, what? X-ray vision. Oh, I don't like that. Good thing Dobby didn't knit him boxers. What? Well. <laughs> ugh. Huh. Okay, in the movie, we're surprisingly somewhat less creepy. What? This is crazy. Professor Moody isn't dancing, but we do still see him sitting on a bench in a kilt decorated with a ferret, making it one of the best short-term callbacks to date. I like to think it's a former student. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's tapping both his real foot and a shiny silver metal one to the music that was likely playing in his own head. Minor note of the fact that he has a metal leg, not a wooden one like in the book. Well, maybe it's his dress leg. Maybe. You don't know. He might have legs for all occasions. Legs Ma for days. Legs <laughs> for days. Maybe he's got one that's like in fishnets for sexy times. These are something. my dress gams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are my intimate legs. This is weird now. Moving on. Anyway, he pulls out his flask and takes a swig, again causing his mad eye to shiver in its socket. Does a little dance. Woo. Yeah, that's definitely not pumpkin juice. Oh, news. definitely not. Definitely not. There's no way in hell. The camera then cuts to Madame Maxime standing next to an ice sculpture as Hagrid slinks up next to her and asks her to dance with a slight waggle of his head in the direction of the dance floor, where everyone is twirling to the ballroom music. And this is where we're going to end the movie scene. I can't blame Hagrid for going with that move. It worked really well for Fred when he asked Angelina to go to the ball with him. Right? It's like got, well, and it didn't work that well for Ron. So it's got like 50% accuracy. Right. So, hey, that's, I could see. That's could decent see. odds. Because we have a moderate amount of control over the organization of our episodes, 
we are also ending the book chapter at close to the same point. The final note of the song plays, and everyone in the Great Hall starts clapping. Harry lets go of Parvati, suggesting they sit down, but she wants to keep dancing. Another, much faster song starts up, and Parvati says it's a good one. Harry just flat out goes, nope, don't like it, <laughs> and leads her over to the table where Ron and Padma are sitting. And end here. Yep. We don't really have anyone to talk about actor-wise, so we're just going to skip right to our Potter pondering. Which is, what are your thoughts on how they changed the dress robes to look more like tuxedos and just blatantly put the girls in some rather ugly dresses instead of robes? I feel like you have thoughts on this. I think we already shared our thoughts, so we want your <laughs> thoughts. Find the posts on our Facebook page and share them with us. Yeah, we really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Ashley Casimer. She writes, I'm a Ravenclaw, but I'm also a hat stall between Hufflepuff. My wand is willow tree wood with a phoenix feather core, and my Patronus is also a phoenix. My uncle took me to see the first movie when I was 11, and I've been obsessed ever since. I started reading the books after the fourth movie came out, and I was discussing it with a teacher who was telling me just how much the movies left out. That curiosity led me to read the books, and I'm so glad I listened to him. I've since decorated my apartment with a bunch of Harry Potter memorabilia. Nice! Yeah! Thanks for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Ashley. Yeah, thank you! And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode... You can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can just message it to us over social media. Yep, there's that option too. And now for the trivia question. This week we are looking for a very specific answer. Where exactly is the prefect's bathroom? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag PineFresh will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at justkeeprolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 23, the Yule Ball, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.